passion, innovation, X factor, enthusiasm, leadership. That's what the Pixel Classroom podcast is all about on education from the latest happenings in the classroom to experts in the field. Thank you and welcome to the Pixel Classroom podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 42 for January 2021. I hope everybody's doing good. So today, um, I hope you have been enjoying so far what you've been hearing from the broken teacher here. Today is going to be called Chapter 4, Becoming Inspired. I thought it was a really good idea to go ahead and put these out here. Uh, something, too, since we're kind of heading towards the midpoint of these episodes as I record these on a uh, weekend, and they usually get released every uh, Wednesday and Saturday here up for the uh, next couple of weeks here. Of course, I'll take a slight break after episode uh 45 to have a guest star. And of course, episode 50 is coming up right here. That's a huge, huge episode we're doing too. But one thing is uh, interesting, me reviewing these uh, chapters as I've read them and narrated them for the last uh, couple of episodes is it, it definitely takes me back. I get very emotional at times with everything about how this has gone into recording these episodes. Because one thing when I started writing The Broken Teacher, which is actually a compilation of everything I've been writing since uh, 2014 is when the original ideas for the story came up. So it's been uh, very, very interesting going through this. But something that was always interesting was I originally wrote the book to be inspiring. I never was trying to make money out of it. I was not trying to, you know, become the next big name for, uh, while, um, even in this age of social media unrest and everything else, I mean, I have over 11,000 followers, but you know, um, something that's very interesting is who those positive followers are that do follow my work at times. So something that's really gone into here in chapter four here is of course, as I said, becoming inspired. So, you know, it's a amazing, amazing piece here. So, uh, it is a pretty, you know, lengthy, chapter versus what chapter three is, but um, I think it's uh, something I'm hoping when you walk out of uh, listening to this episode here in this audio format for The Broken Teacher, that you will hopefully feel inspired. So on that note, guys, let's get on to chapter four of The Broken Teacher, Becoming Inspired. The way I see it, if you want a rainbow, you'll have to put up with the rain. Dolly Parton. It was 2012, after taking my first full-time job as technology facilitator at Christian Life Schools for their new one-to-one -one iPad program, I started a blog titled Taking Your Classroom to the Next Level. This was a uh, blog done weekly, typing out ideas to use in the classroom. After almost two years, I decided to change the title to Dice Up the Classroom. Most people always, when they read the title, Dice Up the Classroom, they immediately question, why is the U and the P capitalized? Well, the U is for unconditional. When I say unconditional, I mean unlike any other, at least according to Webster's Dictionary. The P stands for passion. Something I have learned about passion is that it drives you. I wanted to do more. Um, though. And in late 2013, after the new house effect wore off, I was going through my iPad and Google Apps for Education, trying to think of ways to create app smashes with my students and teacher. What's an app smash, you might ask? Well, an app smash is when you use two or more applications to create an entire lesson or project. It was originally uh, designed by Greg Kulwick, and when he said it best, was that app smashes provided students with creative and inspiring ways to showcase their learning and allow you to assess their understanding and skills. And my good friend, Craig Brandura, 
who is the king of app smashing, followed closely by D. Laner. You might know him from Solve It Time and a follower of my work ever since I created App Dice. So I decided to take this a little bit more. And you know how I created the App Dice. I was on Pinterest of all places. I saw the teacher's training seminar that were using dollar store dice with stickers of various apps on them that they rolled. And when that app came up, they had to use it to create a lesson. Well, it's pretty similar how I created the coin collection lesson in a previous chapter I will talk about later on in the book. But I love the randomness of rolling the dice and getting the apps to use. But at the same time, when they would roll them, it just came up with a lesson idea based on that app. It wasn't app smashing. It was using it for a direct student learning. So what did I do? I decided to take out my iPad, took some screenshots and uh, started importing those images into a printable dice template. I printed it, I laminated it because I wanted these to last. I cut it out, put it together and started rolling. And I roll each die once to see what app came up each time I rolled and I created a lesson on it. Then I would roll it again, see how many types of ways I could create a project or teach a lesson by rolling the dice once and seeing what apps would come up to create a lesson. I then decided to take it to another level. I started putting QR codes on some of these sides so students or teachers could scan the app and have their device pop up the information on it. And if they didn't know what it was, but what ways they could use it. And before long, I started cross-platforming using a mixture of Google, Microsoft, and Android apps on the dice. And then I started adding words, pictures, or themes to the app dice and then started rolling. And I got pretty carried away as I had my students and teachers seeing me roll and start joining in on the fun. And they also started creating their own lessons before I knew it. And this is how the app dice maker for both schools and online communities came about, or aka hashtag app smash dice it. It's funny how it happened, taking a simple gaming tool that teachers and students have been using for decades to differentiate learning. And that's pretty much what it was. It was innovation. It was something so simple that it started me to in the face for so, so long. I looked at my students' passions and saw if they could reflect each one with their own and have ice, of course, result in their creation. Since then, the creation of App Dice, I have been amazing innovation used with similar ideas, not only for my students, but also other educators like Dee or Craig, or even the amazing Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. So who have taken those passions and transformed into innovative ideas in the classroom, encourage those students to follow suit in their own innovation. However, we do know that learning will remain with us no matter what happens. And you know what? I'm still pretty fond of my first app dice that I made in my home office on top of the shelf right here to my computer, especially as I am writing this book out. While I have created quite a few over the last couple of years, it still remains a pinnacle of something I created. And I have seen and shared and been the model for many teachers and students in the classroom and even administrators. My wife still keeps a poster board of a project she did in a speech class some many years ago in our same office from her freshman year in high school. And when we look at it, it's very inspirational. And not only that, the work that was put in it, but also that you can draw so much from it even today. The point I'm trying to get at after all my rambling is that you can't look at a lesson, a project, or a hobby as just one-time deal. Even a simple thing like creating a word activity, using something as simple as a story dice can lead to inspiration and creativity for years to come. Even if you're using Easter eggs to create a word activity, as my friend John Meehan once created. Much like the scale model that I see every day when we walk to our local church. Even though it was made almost 60 years ago, it contains to be inspiring for creativity, wonder, and as others quite say, I want to make something like that, but 
do it on my own and in my own way. And if you can inspire something like that, even if it's just a word, then you have succeeded in creating something that will stand the test of time. And in doing so, you also create a type of enthusiasm in the classroom that will inspire students to do their best and not want to look for something else to do. I was very proud of these accomplishments, but a problem happened. People really got sick of app dice. <laughs> they went from all the rage, and actually, as a time in Twitter education chat, they told me in short words, Ryan, enough, we know you love dice, but you need to move on to something better. And you know, those words kind of stung hard. And the next day I was looking at my students use them and I saw one of them put them back on the shelf saying they were tired of playing with them. And that really cut me to the quick. I sat in my office later that day and went, well, now what do I do? In early summer of 2014, I had reached a very low point of my short educational career. I wasn't feeling inspired. I wasn't feeling motivated. And most of all, I wasn't feeling really any passion. Then I was on Twitter because, you know, I go to Twitter a lot. And Barbara Grunner told me I needed to check out this book that was called Teach Like a Pirate by Dave Burgess. And if I didn't reunite my passions after reading that book in education, nothing was going to. Well, I jumped on my computer, ordered a copy, and after reading the first page, I could not put this book down. As soon as I finished it, I ran to my iPad, created four different lessons using some of my favorite apps and some of my creativity applications. And I remember my wife looking at me and asking if I was all right. And I told her I was feeling great and then started showing her what I was doing. She then looked up at me and said, my husband is back. Dave Burgess's Teach Like a Pirate had impact on me like no other. I was back all right. My passion was also back. I had a professor during my undergraduate in college that told me that if you weren't passionate about what you did, then you would never perform to your highest potential. Why passion can drive us, it has to be unconditional. Why does it have to be unconditional? Well, it's my old, well, I hope he knows that this in a good way. My old uh, seventh grade science teacher, Mr. Whitehurst, who I taught me about what was about unconditional means in education. He was not only my science teacher, but he was also my basketball coach in seventh grade. And during our nights of practice, running around the gym and practicing our free throws, he told us you had to have an unconditional love for what you did. You might not be the best player in the court, but I remember him telling us if you have unconditional passion for what you are doing, then you will always be a winner in the game. And then he even added, and make sure you have fun. If there was something Mr. Whitehurst did in class, it was making things fun. Very similar to Mrs. Larton, who, you know, rolled out different types of learning and using puppets for our book reports way back when in fifth grade. I remember the first lesson that Mr. Whitehurst did with us as teenagers didn't seem like what normal seventh grade teachers would do in a seventh class. If you do not remember from my previous class, Mr. Whitehurst, of course, was doing our Petri dish lessons, where you take different samples and see how much bacteria could grow from those different classes. And I remember him allowing us to leave the classroom. Another story he did shortly after that was actually taking us to the local Creek, which was just about a half a mile from their middle school, where we had to look for pill bugs. We were able to look at the land. He explained all the different areas where to find pill bugs to grab for our samples for our upcoming etymology lesson, which would be a week later. It was a really amazing time just about seeing all that happen when we were just learning all the different ways we could look for pill bugs, learn about nature, and at the same time, have a lot of fun. Something that Mr. Whitehurst told us was that science was everywhere and we needed to get outside and find it. So, you know what? You know, Mr. Whitehurst was right. 
telling us where to live, where to hide, and why we could find the things that were just amazing, where learning was everywhere. So you know what? Thank you, Mr. Whitehurst, for those lessons, because you definitely kept us straight for unconditional passion, and definitely something that focused me later as an educator. You know, looking back now, I believe I would have gone into education sooner if I would have had a focus on what Mr. Whitehurst showed his students during those years with his unconditional passion. It was not to say he was alone. Just down the hall was a math teacher, Mrs. White. And I will tell you, as I've said in previous chapters, she was not an easy teacher by all means, but she did have passion for teaching math to her students, even when she wanted to assign three extra pages of homework over long weekends. And there was my woodshop teacher, as you know, too, who would like to create new types of things, such as comics and strips about how to do lessons. And it was just amazing how these teachers, in some days, while you might not have liked them, had this unconditional passion to keep you learning and engaged. You know, and they didn't follow up through some paint by a number lessons as people fall to. They wanted to inject their own passions and teaching style and what made them in the classroom. And they didn't just, you know, repeat it for a couple years and went to the same over. They found those passions that they always loved injecting to their lessons that always kept them fresh and amazing, whether it was technology, theater, storytelling, creativity, or of course, as we know, dice and games. However, it's these passions that fueled my own unconditional passions for teaching education. And they can go hand in hand, much as my shop teacher loved reading Sunday morning comics to allow him to teach and perform best practices for safety in the shop, or Mrs. White, who loved games along with those who weren't the best at math to understand how to reduce a fraction, understand the concepts of mixed numbers. Thank you for that, Mrs. White. And they also created structures that gave passions for the classrooms. And much like Mrs. Larson showed me in fifth grade how you can add passions from your spice rack in new and creative ways. Growing up in classrooms always seemed to be this big meeting room where so many of us came together to listen to our teacher. And there would be desks that got bigger every year as we grew both physically and mentally. And there would be a meeting on the carpet somewhere, various galleries of work. And this was something I didn't really see changed until middle school when they weren't meeting on the rugs anymore. But it still looked the same. Something that was very innovative about Mrs. Larson's classroom is she never kept it the same. Why most teachers changed their bulletin boards depending on the seasons and unit. Mrs. Larson was always doing something original in her classroom. And I remember once during the winter, she had to change the book report board with a small kid made out of paper and the cover of Where the Red Fern Grows with the kid saying, warm up this winter with a good book. These days, we see those everywhere. And in Pinterest or, of course, <laughs> Wakelet and more social things that has been existing since the late 1980s. Um, they would have sworn that there, she got it from, she had got it from her boys who were around the same age. And she was always coming up with amazing art projects because she loved to incorporate crafts into her class decor. And of course, into her lessons, whether it was something from silent reading that we enjoyed to of course, bringing our favorite magazine to engage more of us in reading, understanding backwards. Because as she once said, how creative, Thanks for bringing that into the classroom and reading something a little bit different that I didn't tell you to, because you know what? I learned something today I wouldn't have learned anywhere else. I could go on and on about everything, but as Dave Burgess once said, if you don't want to be in your classroom, who? why would your students be in your classroom? 
We know learning is not enclosed in our classroom or offices, and it's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere we turn. And as Dave Burgess and, of course, George Carcass once said, the best students should be beating down the doors to get into your classroom and not trying to get out as soon as the bell rings or when it's time to switch out of special or enrichment classes. Something was always a key factor in getting into this to happen with my students was taking risks in the classroom. As educators, we sometimes are hesitant in trying something new in the classroom. As we get asked many times about how long we have been teaching, the answer usually includes, I found out what worked and I got rid of what didn't work. That is actually a sound of a piece of advice because at the same time, if we don't take risks in the classroom with new lessons or projects, then how are we expecting our students to take those similar risks and learn? I remember when I first started Genius Hour in the classroom at my old school, I had introduced students to blogging. You should have seen some of the faces when I said we would be writing and posting their projects on the old kids blog that org. They were excited, but when it came to them to post their projects on their iPads or desktop computers, oh boy, was it a hassle. I had students with login issues, pictures and videos that were too big. One student felt they couldn't spell well enough to even blog, let alone write it on a piece of paper. I had gone over the posting process, walked through them and into the classic, I do, we do, you do, and we still had problems. So what did I do? I took a step back. I had my students create full PowerPoint presentations using Keynote and later on Google Slides and then share them with me on Google Drive. And of course, this was before Seesaw and Google Classroom. And of course, Wakelet were very popular in the classrooms. And my students loved it. After a couple of weeks, I found a way to get those students back on the kid blog. And many were a bit scared to try again, but I had explained to them had gone wrong and even said, how many times have I had to do things go wrong in my lessons? You've seen me. And many of my students respond, oh, a lot there, Mr. Reed. Then I asked them, but did I give up? And everyone shook their heads. So we tried again, and it went even more smoothly. And after platforms such as Seesaw, Google Classroom, and Schoology came about, we found more ways for my students to have their voice and present their Genius Hour project, as well as their creativity. And they started taking more and more risks in the classroom because they saw that I didn't give up, and they shouldn't give up either. They let their creativity flow as a result. And creativity, in my honest opinion, is one of the biggest factors that I have when it comes to teaching. As long as I can remember, I've been taking back to the days when I was four years old and had my old preschool teacher explain what steps were needed to build a wire flower that was had creativity involved. Sometimes that defines creativity as making something out of nothing. When you try to solve X in algebra, you're creating a solution to a problem, no matter how basic or advanced. When you're working on a strategy to score a goal for floor hockey and PE, you're creating a plan of attack. No matter how you spin it, creativity is also one of the most main fundamentals of teaching and learning and finding that unconditional passion with teachers and students. However, when the word creativity is spoken, sadly, we always hear, well, it's easy for you. You're creative. And how many times have you heard this or have it muttered under your breath? I don't think there is one professional or paraprofessional who hasn't heard that phrase. And I think the biggest problem with this saying is that it is a double-edged sword. The first part is the person it is said to is being hit because you're because they are trying to show the creativity process doesn't mean they have multiple times of things not blowing up in their face to get great ideas or how many times it's fallen apart. And when that happens, people tend to go the other direction because they fear failure. Sad to say, I've been guilty of saying it myself, not just when I was younger, trying to understand why I couldn't 
you know, be a straight A student like most of my friends were or years later thinking I wasn't smart enough or good enough like others who were finding better success creative wise or career wise or even in their own personal lives. It took me years to understand just because you see someone having more success doesn't mean you haven't been through the trenches to achieve that success. We all fight our own battles many do not know about. I'll tell you right now, look in the mirror because the person staring back at you is creative as we all are. It warms my heart when I see a student smile when they realize how creative they are, and even more when I see a teacher get creative in the classroom. I am blessed to work in a schools where the classroom teachers have a theme for their classroom from Hollywood to camping. Camping is one of my favorites as the teacher who has set up their classroom has a tent for reading time to where students can take their water bottles and lay back on pillows like they really were camping or how raccoons are peeking out from behind the bookshelf saying, what did you read today? That's creativity to make students feel like they aren't in the classroom, but out in the wilderness where their learning time is like camping. Does this mean you have to dress up your room or do room transformations that are very popular? <laughs> well, of course not. I worked with another teacher a few years ago where their classroom looked very traditional. There was a bulletin board with decorations for the month, best paper or projects on the side of the wall. Nothing I didn't see myself growing up when the teacher did something someone else was doing. Every time just before lunch, they would tell their students to get up and act like they were in mountain climbing and then heading down the zip line to their cubbies to get their lunches and then make sure they lift with their legs just in case the lunch boxes or the backpacks were too heavy. I had never seen anything like that before. Today we call that brain breaks, but at the same time, the teacher was teaching the students how to properly enact safety when it came to exercise. One up to pull yourself up and one foot to push yourself and go. Keep your arms at 45 degree angle and keep just the right speed coming down. Lift with your legs to avoid straining your back or other muscles, then to complete it all with a single line assembly to the lunchroom. I don't know where I was, but I wanted to be part of this class. That was creativity at its finest. And of course, now we call it a hook, if you've ever read Teach Like a Pirate. The funny thing about creativity is that doesn't just come in each person differently. It comes to each person in a fundamental way. With a student, it can come from thinking about the worms in their backyard. For a teacher, it can take the form and how to practice proper exercise. And for others, it might just take a form from life experiences. My creativity has always been about my life experiences. My previous books, My Life as a Comic Book Leader and Small Hope, were born out of very hurtful and confusing times during 2008. However, they were so creative, they made what I had for my students and teachers look and say, this is so original and yet so telling. When I originally wrote those stories, I wrote them because I felt the need to be written. I was never writing them to be creative or meaningful or to make money. I felt they were stories that needed to be told. Now looking back at them, I see how creative and meaningful they were to not just myself, but to others. And I remember one time when someone came up to me and asked, I want to write something like that. And I have an idea. Well, I told them, go for it. Because you know what? I know if you succeed in teaching something, they will always remember. You can sometimes forget something, but you can never forget how you created it and why. Because that's the biggest thing you always have to remember when being creative is know your why.
And that's going to do it for chapter four of The Broken Teacher. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this chapter. Uh, it's a very more positive piece when going in forward to when I was doing it. I have to say I was living definitely through some better times as uh, I was narrating this story before I move on to the next chapter. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Pixel Classroom Podcast. If you'd like more, please go ahead and leave us a message or subscribe to us by clicking on your favorite podcast streaming system, anywhere from Apple to Google Podcasts to Spotify, Amazon, and of course, Breaker and Beamer. That will do it here for episode of the Pixel Classroom podcast. I look forward to talking to everybody else again for chapter five, Broken Again. Thanks again, guys, for listening. This is Ryan, and I will see you next time on the Pixel Classroom podcast.